Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Hope Online. Happy Easter. I hope you're staying well, staying safe and staying in, which is probably what you are doing because you're watching me. Uh, how much has changed in our lives in the last few weeks, hasn't it? Only this week I was checking through a bank statement like you do, one for the last month. And as I looked through it, I looked at things in the first half of March, like coffees out, lunch out, the odd shopping expedition, which was nothing to do with food or toilet rolls or hand sanitizer. And it just seemed like another world. And I thought, how my life has changed in the last month. And of course, the same is going to be true for you. But it is good to know that our God doesn't change. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. And those words are applied to Jesus as well, of course, as the Son of God. And it's Jesus that's going to be the centre of our thoughts this morning. Because it is Easter morning, the morning he rose from the dead. The most hope-filled, joy-filled occasion in the Christian calendar. And I look forward to sharing a few thoughts with you on this Easter morning. On that first morning, when Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, went to the tomb where they expected to find Jesus' body, they actually found an angel who said, He is risen. He is not here. That's amazing. In every grave of every person across the world, you could write, here lies so-and-so. And often that was what was written on graves, here lies so-and-so. But at Jesus' tomb, it is declared, he is not here, because he isn't. That's wonderful. That's a great cause for celebration. I hope you'll share with me in understanding that this morning, because I want to talk about the resurrection from Psalm 22. The Bible is a remarkable book. And Psalm 22 is remarkable even by the Bible's standards. It was written a thousand years before Jesus was born. And yet it is full of references that don't seem to quite fit the context of the original writer, David, but seem to go beyond him, but make absolute sense when you read the Gospels and you read about Jesus. In fact, if you were to particularly read Matthew 27, or John 19, which are two accounts of the, the crucifixion, you would find reference after reference that is relevant to Psalm 22, almost word for word. Let me just give you a little flavour of it, because it's one of the magnificent aspects of the Bible, that it's a whole book. It's woven together by our wonderful God. And although it spoke in its time, when it was written, this Psalm, David was talking about his own turmoils and trials and how God would bring him through. Yet in it, the Holy Spirit gave him inspiration and direction to speak about someone obviously a lot greater and a lot more magnificent than him, or one we call great David's greater son. But in the first half of the psalm, there are some references, I'm sure, unless you're very new to the Bible, you'll recognise some of them, references that are right on, spot on for the for the crucifixion. There's this phrase in verse one, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then as you read on through, the, the crowd, verse seven, mock me. They hurl insults, shake their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. And as you go down, he talks about my mouth is dried up like a pot showed. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. 
All my bones are on display. People gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. I think this is amazing. This is an amazing insight into the suffering of Jesus on the cross. It is extraordinary and it's supernatural. The Bible is a very special book. But here's the exciting thing. If the first half of Psalm 22 is so accurate about the crucifixion, sort of prophetically foreshadowing it and giving us insights into it. How exciting to think that the second half of Psalm 22, which is clearly about the resurrection, it's about victory, it's about vindication after suffering. The second half of Psalm 22 is going to be just as accurate about the resurrection and its impact on us and on the world. Because at verse 22, where we're going to start this morning, there is a total change. The one who's been crying out to God for help and suffering and feeling absolutely oppressed and destroyed finds breakthrough as God vindicates him and gives him victory. Let's listen to the verses that we're going to look at for a few minutes this morning. Verse 22 of Psalm 22. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honour him, revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of his afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfil my view, vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Isn't that wonderful? And when you begin to connect it, not just with David rejoicing at how God's blessed and answered his prayers, but connect it with Jesus and the resurrection, it becomes awesome. And that's what we're going to do by looking at four phrases here, just one after the other, quite quickly, and just realising what this is telling us about the resurrection of Jesus and its ongoing consequences that affect all of us even today. This is an exciting subject and I'm looking forward to unpacking it. Let's get into the first one. So the first phrase is, he has done it, which is in verse 31. As I said, when David wrote this psalm, he would have understood what he was writing at one level. He would have written it intelligently for people to read. And actually, the Jewish people used it as a psalm of prayer and praise for many centuries. And he was uh, basically saying, after a long time of difficulty, agony and suffering, I prayed, I cried out, God delivered me. He's done it. He's brought me victory and deliverance. But just as in the first half, which I illustrated to you, when you read it, you think, well, this is a bit more than David, really. All the ends of the earth. I mean, David is a little exaggerating, isn't it? As in the first half, David, what are you talking about? Pierce my hands and my feet. And David, what do you mean? Divided my clothes up. And, you know, the stuff there that's mysterious. And I guess David wrote it as a sort of, sort of metaphor, sort of poem. But there was something more in it, of course. And once we realise that with 
The first bit, as I've said, we realise this second bit is just as true and just as powerful. So God, through Jesus, has done something amazing. What has he done? He has done it. But what's he done? Well, it, I, could, I could honestly spend all day talking to you about it, which I won't. But let me give you three New Testament verses just that would summarise, give you a flavour of what Jesus has done or God has done in and through Jesus. You could say it either way. Here's a, a famous verse, John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So God has done it. He has provided a way for you and I to be saved, not to perish, not to go into eternal darkness and despair, but to be with him forever, to have new life and eternal life forever. He has done it. There is a reality to that that you can enjoy through Jesus. Here's another one. 2 Corinthians 5.19. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. In Jesus Christ, God found a way to reconcile us, men and women, to himself. There was a huge gap between us, and without Jesus, there still would be. But through Jesus, we can be reconciled. We can come to know God as our Father. We can have peace with God. He's done it. Jesus has done it. And then here's our third one. Verse, uh, same chapter actually, verse 21, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him, and that's about Jesus, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, through and in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. He made a great exchange, God did, on the cross. He, Jesus took my sin and yours and he carried it, as it were, bore it is an old word meaning to bear or carry so bore it away carried it away and God has now given me his righteousness what an exchange he's done it what do what do I have to do you don't have to do it he's done it <laughs> he has done it now enjoy it come into the good of it God has made a way of escape Jesus has provided a way back to the father he is the way the truth and the life all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus he has done it. The second phrase that I want to draw your attention to in Psalm 22 is actually verse 22. In the assembly, I will praise you. In the community, in the assembly, I will praise you. Now, this verse is actually quoted in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 12, as being in the mouth, as it were, of the risen Jesus. It's like something Jesus says after the resurrection about his church, his community, his people, his gathering. He says, I'm going to praise God. I've got all these people now free and with me. And in that community, I'm going to praise the Father. It's a beautiful sort of poetic declaration, but it's a bit more than that. It's what actually happened after Jesus had died and rose again. The Bible tells us that Jesus endured the cross for a joy that was in front of him, the joy that he was looking for forward to actually he wasn't looking for he was looking forward to it and that joy is largely having the church yes the church that's people it's not an institutional organization the church people who would be his people his community his body his family 
many ways the New Testament describes he brings many sons or children to glory. He, 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 he sees us as his family, co-heirs with Christ is another phrase, meaning we share his inheritance. We become children of God with Jesus. Marvellous stuff. And Jesus looked forward to that. When he went through the cross, he was thinking of you and me and our need, bearing away our sin, taking away the punishment was due us, bringing us forgiveness. Of course he was thinking of that. That was a huge issue. But actually he got something beyond that. He was looking forward to having his bride, looking forward to having all these children of God, all these brothers and sisters. And it's, it's just a wonderful thought. You know, when Jesus rose from the dead, one of the things he said straight away to Mary, I think it was Mary Magdalene, is go to my brothers. Go to my brothers. You almost feel his excitement. He goes on to say, I'm going to my father and your father. It's like he's excited. Now he can be your father as well. It's one of the sort of big gains that Jesus realises he's won through his death and resurrection. Jesus loves the church. He died for the church. The church is all who follow him. It's not really just a narrow band. It's, it's anyone who comes and was perhaps hear a bit about that in my last point. But the fact is that Jesus loves us and wants us with him. The whole work of the cross and resurrection was not just to get us through, not just to save us alone, but to make us children of God, to join us to Christ, to make us part of God's new family, his new creation. The third phrase that I want to draw your attention to in this psalm is in verse 27, all the ends of the earth. And this is an exciting prophecy. Remember, in this psalm, there are things that clearly apply to Jesus and clearly happened, particularly the first half. We can tick them off. Those things really happened. Well, this is equally true in this second half. In verses 27 to 31, it prophesies the worldwide spread of the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. There is a universal appeal, a universal application, which, to be honest, just couldn't have applied to King David when he wrote it. It just wouldn't really make sense at one level. But when you read it carefully, it makes very good sense with the gospel and with the, good, the, the, the great commission Jesus gave us and the effect of the gospel, which has gone worldwide to all the nations. It says that the results of this victory and this vindication will be all the ends of the earth will be blessed, all the families of the nations. And then it goes beyond that and says rich and poor. You can see that for yourself. And it talks about old and young. It talks about future generations. The good news of the kingdom of God, of sins forgiven and the hope of eternal life is for all. It is wonderfully inclusive. Whosoever will may come to God through Jesus Christ. It, it needs to be all-inclusive because we've all got the need of being saved. We're all lost. Unfortunately, that's just true. That's how we are. Our hearts are a long way from God. They're quite stony in our response to God. Most of us live as though we didn't care about God. In fact, we can be right grumpy about him and we don't particularly look to follow his ways or to find him. And unfortunately, that rupture from God makes us not behave as we should to each other. The Bible calls it sin. So although its root is our relationship with God's ruptured, the effect, the fruit, is our 
all of our bad behaviour, all of us. I mean, sometimes it's worse than others, but it's all rooted in a similar thing. Pride, greed, envy, lust, uh, hatred. These things sadly bubble up within the human heart. But Jesus has provided an answer for everyone. That's what the cross does. And that's what the resurrection does. And it is a free offer. Listen to these phrases from Revelation 22, 17, right at the end of the Bible. Let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Couldn't be more open, could it? Let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. But there is a little, not catch, there's a little challenge. It's a challenge. Even in this psalm, it says that all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. That's the phrase I just want you to think about. Remember and turn to the Lord. It's, it's not automatic. It's not automatic. Our salvation is not automatic. We need to remember and turn to the Lord. What does it mean by remember? Well, I think we've forgotten God. I think we've forgotten our maker, our father in heaven. We don't think about him. We turned our backs on him. We disregard him. We need to wake up and remember and turn to the Lord. Now, turning to the Lord is a beautiful way of describing what is a New Testament word called repentance, which is a bit of a word we don't often use. But that's basically what it means. You turn around, you turn to the Lord. And our salvation depends on us waking up, remembering and turning to the Lord. It's not automatic. And that's true. Very true. You can pick it up in the Old Testament, which we're looking at right now and frequently said in the New Testament. We need to repent, remember and turn to the Lord. Now, remembering on its own is not enough. Remember and turn to the Lord. Perhaps we could say remembering is a bit like intellectually thinking about God and maybe even acknowledging that you believe in God. So you sort of woken up to that. Yeah, yeah, I think that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, don't stop there. Remember and turn to the Lord. I mean, in one way, it's very important that we act on that. It's not an intellectual thing like, oh, yeah, great. Yeah, that's fine. I, I sort of get that now. No, no. Turn to the Lord. That's what you must do if you're to enjoy this magnificent salvation. It's available for you. Every one of you. It says all sorts of people, every one of you listening, whatever your race, whatever your class, whatever your education, whatever your intellectual ability, whether you're young or old, whether you, uh, whatever you do for a job, whatever status, I don't know how many things to list because it means everything. Colour of skin, uh, you know, ethnicity and background. I can't stop the list. It doesn't matter. None of that need keep you away but there is one thing that keeps you away that you don't remember and turn to the Lord, that you don't respond to it. You don't take any notice of it. So please don't do that. But the answer is as simple as remember and turn to the Lord. Our fourth phrase and the last one is dominion belongs to the Lord, which is in verse 28. And this reminds us that this is God's world. It's a good thing to remember at this time. God is sovereign overall. It all belongs to him. Ultimately, he's in charge. None of the things that happen phase him. He's not surprised by coronavirus. He's not surprised by the critical things we're tussling with. God is still on the throne. And that is reassuring. The kingdom of God, the kingdom I'm talking to you about, the kingdom that Jesus has opened up for us, we can be born again into the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God will never be shaken. Never shaken, the Bible says. Other kingdoms will all shake and we can feel that. 
right now. I mean, it is like that, isn't it? At every level, whether it's political or economic or social or how we behave or how we shop even, everything is shaking and changing. But God's kingdom won't shake and won't change. It's eternal. It will go on and on. And you can be a citizen of that kingdom by faith in Jesus we've been talking about this morning. And you can already have that stability in your life. So it's a sort of rock under your feet, even when the rest's shaking now. You will experience the storms. You don't, aren't um, in a bubble. You will, as a Christian, you will experience things. But underneath, you're part of a more substantial kingdom. The rock is under your feet. And so the challenge for all of us is, are we clearly in that kingdom? Is God my Lord? He's Lord of all. He's, in, he's the one who's in charge of everything but is he also in charge of my life and your life is he my lord the lord jesus christ because that is what we need to understand dominion belongs to the lord we need to belong to the lord we need to give him dominion in our lives so being an effective christian is certainly putting faith in jesus remembering and turning to the lord but it's also understanding that he is lord of my life my life and this is basically very securing but it's challenging my life is now not quite my own. I live for him and he loves me and he's for me and he's with me and he's going to bless me. But I need to submit to his ways in my life. It's a two way street and it's a glorious relationship. But he is Lord. And dominion belongs to him. I'm going to willingly, freely give him dominion in my life. But it, it belongs to him, really. But he looks for me. He, can't, he doesn't force himself on me. He looks for me to bow the knee to him and say, Lord, I'm yours. Come and lead my life and bless me and guide me. Thank you for saving me. And now take me on day by day. Now, if you've never made that step, I want to give you an opportunity this morning to do it. I've got a little prayer that I'm going to read through slowly and you can use it to pray yourself at home and if you do, I'd love you to contact us here at Hope Church just as a way of sealing it. We're not going to chase you up. In fact, we can't. We're not allowed to. <laughs> we, can't, we can't go and visit you. So we won't certainly do that. But we would love you perhaps to register that you meant this prayer. And maybe we could send you some uh, material or something to help you understand it if you want to. But the most important thing isn't that. The most important thing is that you pray this prayer and mean it. So let me read it out for you now. Lord Jesus Christ, I am sorry for the things I have done wrong in my life. You might at this moment just want to express something that you really feel unhappy about or, or a bit guilty about. Just, just say, Lord, forgive me. Please forgive me. I now turn from everything which I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of new life. I now receive that gift. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Now, if you're already a committed Christian, can I appeal to you, using the words of Romans 13 verse 11, that you understand the present time, that you think about what's going on all around us. I'm certainly doing that. I'm sure you already are. It goes on to say the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber. 
let's not be asleep as Christians. Let's be alert to opportunities to help people, bless people, but also opportunities to really pray and probably share, perhaps more openly than usual, what we believe. Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. I don't know what you think, but it does feel, like I've already said, that there's a pretty thorough shaking going on. Maybe it's been going on a bit longer than just the last few weeks. And I think it's time for us to be like light shining in dark place, quite bold on the front foot, to use the words of Psalm 22, proclaiming his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Let's be on the front foot and let's do that. Now, I'm just going to pray for you as I finish, and then I'm going to read a sort of blessing over you from the Bible. I just want you to receive it, all of you listening, as I just pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, and thank you for his victory when he rose again. Thank you that he rose from the dead that first Easter morning, and thank you, Lord, that we are confident that we will one day see you and be with you because he is alive. Heavenly Father, I ask you to bless each one who's watching this online presentation. Protect them at this time. Encourage them. Lord, be very near to them. And Lord, I want to speak these words over everyone who's listening and watching today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.